Heat need a three to win. Ten seconds left. Wade against Iguodala. Five seconds left. Waiters back to Dwayne. Shoots. No, he couldn't get it off. Now fires it up. Bank it in. It counts. It counts. The Heat win the game. Dwayne Wade won it for Miami. 126 to 125. It just happened. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Small Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Graham, what's going on? And we are here with episode 28. Yes, sir. Of Views from the Clutch. Before we begin, as always, I want to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of our supporters, viewers, subscribers, contributors to the Views from the Clutch movement. As always, if you'd like to hit us directly, you can do so on any of the hosting sites where our podcast is featured. You can also message us directly by sending an email to viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook under Views from the Clutch, as well as Instagram with the same name, Views from the Clutch. Yeah, episode 28, man. We made it. Yes, sir. Oh, man. So we got another double-edged season preview in store for y'all. Today, we're going to be tackling the 2019-2020 Miami Heat and New Orleans Hornets. I mean, Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. I think I accidentally got it wrong on purpose. But, um, yeah, um, I don't even have my, my stats up. But let's start, with the, let's start with the Heat. I feel like the Heat. Uh-huh. If they finish with a um, – the Hornets had a better record last year anyway. Okay, so I played it right. Granted, only by well, actually it was tied, but I think they owned, Hornets had owned the tiebreaker. The Same. tiebreaker that decided that neither one of them go to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, got to think about it. both of them finished two games out last year, so it was that competitive because both finished at thirty nine and forty three, where the AFC, which was the Pistons, finished at forty one and forty one. So they were two in, games out. Two games out. Remember, that's when Kimba put. Made that uh, real push. He was trying to push them over. I think that's what helped separate, get him on that uh, all NBA third team, um, Kimba. But like I said, so we'll just talk about Miami, um, who had a mixture of odd players that they had, but a lot of them are moved on to different, moved on to different locations. Uh, the only real returning players is Gordon, Gordon Dragic, Udonis Haslam. James Johnson, Jared, Derek Jones, and um, Bam, Bam, and Kelly Olynyk, and Deion Waiters, who was injured, and Justice Winslow, who was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, injured as well last year. Yeah, um, that's about seven guys. That's not bad. That's not yeah, bad. And, and like I said, the Deion Waiters supposedly is healthy this year, so maybe. Yeah, I saw him. Help. I saw him in preseason action. He looked pretty good. I mean, he looked like he had he, – he didn't come in looking like a chubby version of Dwayne Wade this year, which is what, <laughs> which is what he always looked like to me from, from the get-go. I mean, I remember watching Deion Waiters when he was in the Big East as a member of the Syracuse um, basketball team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I always thought, you know, this is a – we're looking at an NBA player playing college because his game absolutely didn't fit the college game whatsoever. He was like a remnant of the Oak Hill Academy school of ISO basketball, get a high pick and roll and do whatever it is you want to do. And that's a lot of what he did in Syracuse. But, of course, it got him into the NBA, and that style of play is essentially what 
the NBA has become is you run a high pick and roll and how good you are with navigating a high pick and roll is going to determine how well and how long you can stay in the NBA along with your jump shot. So um, I know that Dion was given a fairly nice contract before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure he's looking to come back and make well on that investment that the Arison family has given him. He's looking at yeah, he's oh, well, actually, four. he's modest. It's, it's well, modest, I mean, you got to figure for a guy who hasn't played that much. He he signed a four-year, fifty-two million dollar deal back in July of two thousand seventeen. So he's got this season and next at twelve million. Uh, but you got to think about it. Deion Wade has only played. Uh, he played. I think, I think Lonzo Balls played more than him. <laughs> well, this crazy part about it: since he came to Miami, the mo- he's been in Miami three years. This will be his fourth year. The first year he was in Miami, he played 46 games, got out because of injury. The second year was 30 games, was injury again. And then this last season was 44 games. So, okay, so he's played more than a lot so far. Cool. Yeah, but I mean, the thing about it is they signed him with intentions of him, you know, being active on their roster to play. Yeah, they, they signed him with the intentions of him being one of their top six guys, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So somewhere between either – you know, getting 30 minutes off the bench or being a starting two guard or whatever the case may be. Miami's always been real variable with who they trot out there. Uh-huh. I mean, they're real big advocates of if you can defend, I'll make you play whatever position we need you to play, which is why James Johnson kind of got that contract that he got because he was a three who could play the four. But if you make him do it, he'll play the five on defense. And, you know, he was reasonably athletic with ball handling skills and a decent jump shot, so he's actually making more than Deion Wade is at 15 and change million. Goran Dragic mm-hmm. is making 20. But um, let's just go ahead and move forward to what they have now. They managed to pick up Tyler Hero, who I believe was the best shooter in the draft from yep. Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, in the preseason, he's, he's demonstrated that his gun work is going to be something to deal with. Um, who, I mean... Among the other newcomers, he's pretty much, as, as far as from the draft perspective, he, he's pretty much really the focal point of, of what they brought in from the draft. But their major acquisitions are, of course, bringing Myers Leonard in in the trade for Hassan Whiteside. And, of course, the sign and trade that brought them by getting or, or allowing Josh Richardson to go to the Philadelphia 76ers, they were able to acquire one Jimmy Butler. So Jimmy Butler becomes their new quote-unquote franchise player. They, of course, still remain being coached by Eric Spolstra. From a statistical standpoint, they are second in the league in points allowed per game, sixth in the league in defensive rating. Their offense, though, 27th in the league at 105 points per game, and their rating on offense is 26th in the league. So Miami... Is gonna figure out have to is going to need to figure out how to score, if they have any hopes whatsoever of making any type of drastic change, which I mean, with all things being considered, they were only what two games out of playoffs. Mm-hmm. Does Jimmy Butler give them enough punch minus minus losing Hassan Whiteside and Josh Richardson to put them in a position to contend for the playoffs? What do you think? Uh, not really. I think I think it's gonna. He's gonna need help. I think it's gonna. It's gonna they got a lot of. They got a lot of things they have to figure out. They have to figure out a lot of roles on their team. I mean, they got a lot of the 
to me, they have a lot of players that have not really identified what they are in the league. And uh, if you're going to use them as – I mean, Miami always – those guys always come in shape. Pat Riley's got this rule, like, if you're not in shape, you can't play for me. And that's why James Johnson's actually starting the season uh, away from the team because he's not at the shape that's required to play for the Miami Heat. But yeah, they have a, the- a body fat restriction and so on and so forth. I mean, even Shaquille O'Neal was – was subject to Pat Riley's strict standards on physical fitness. So, well, you got to think about it. if Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has to do it, then anybody else has to do it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he had those standards back in in the Showtime era. Yeah, that's what made Showtime. Wow. You got to think about it. it. Wasn't you didn't see no you know Oliver Miller didn't play for the um, like. <laughs> ah, you brought up Oliver Miller. So yeah, so. Um, Wow. They, that that was uh that was Pat Riley's thing. He was like, everybody gonna be in shape. You're a professional, and you expect such. You know what I mean? Because he want, you know, because think about Showtime running. You know what yeah. I mean? You, you run. They even no matter the big men run too. So we're gonna run. You t- but the reality is, they got a lot of these guys that, you know, without drafting Tyler Hero, um, other than that, they don't have a shooter. You know what I mean? Jimmy's Jimmy's a kind of he's a scorer. volume volume scorer. Uh, they got Gordon Dragic, who's kind of not really a shooter. He's kind of more of a slasher. He pushes the pace for them. Uh, James Johnson's kind of a slasher. You know, Derrick Jones Jr. is more of an energy guy. You know, run the break, throw the backdoor alley for him. Miles Leonard is a big man, but he kind of shoots the three. And you got guys like Deion Waiters, who's a slasher also. Justice Winslow's a slasher. They got a lot of slashes. They don't have any, like, jump shooters or guys that can really kind of space the floor unless you're putting up a lot of shots. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is going to be the go-to player, but when I'm looking at their roster, I don't know if this is enough to get over the hump. I mean, I definitely think it's going to be entertaining for that eighth spot, and I think that's where they're at. Best-case scenario, they'll be the seventh seed. Uh, But I mean, I don't see them finishing the top four. Top three? No, I don't think so. I think seven and eight for them because they won 39 games last year. I definitely think Jimmy Butler is going to get them to maybe 42. So it might be a three to four game improvement. Uh, but when I'm looking at all eight teams that made the playoffs the prior year, seven and eight. I mean, well, now granted, the sixth seed and the seventh seed had the same record last year. All right, 42, 42 and 40. But I think they're going to be around that 500 mark. I don't see them winning 45 or 48, 50 games. Uh, Jimmy Butler's a g- good player, but I don't, I don't think he will equate that to, you know, plus 11 in the win column. And that's a lot of wins to get on top of a lot of guys that are, might not be on the team come, come the, um, the trade deadline. So, like, Gordon Dragic, like I said, he's in his final year of his deal. And he's at $19 million. So, he might be, he might be flipped for something. I mean, granted, there's, always, there's still the, the, the rumors lingering around about Chris Miami. Paul. Chris, yeah, Miami trying to flip to get Chris Paul. Now, granted, they got somebody like Chris Paul. Definitely, I could see them sneaking into that 7th for AFC with, you know, obviously, depending on how long he plays. You know, health is always an issue with Chris Paul. But, aside from that, just looking at their roster, I mean, it is the Eastern Conference, which is the weaker conference of the two. But I don't see Jimmy Butler really being that much of a difference. Like I said, I mean, but, you know, 
to be honest with you, the six, seventh, eighth seed for for Miami is a, is a plus. It's a win because yes, you are one of the bottom teams, but you're not better, in my opinion, than Milwaukee. You're not better than Philadelphia. The Boston, mm, no, nah, I don't think so. Indiana, I don't know. Indiana always plays hard, and they always like they find ways to win. So Nick McMillan's running a good, good um, cohesive unit out there. Now, like I said, but that's that's four teams. You know, I don't, I really don't see them getting in the top four. So maybe in the top five. So anything like I said, six, seven, and eight, I think that would be good for them. Yeah, I do think I do think the seventh, eighth seed is their "quote unquote" ceiling. They they have a unique collection of players on their team. Bam is an undersized center, but he's best suited to play the center. Mm-hmm. But I've seen that they tried in the early preseason to trot out Myers at the five, Bam at the four. I think Jimmy was at the three, mm-hmm. Goran at the one, and I'm not sure who they had at the two. But I know that at any given moment, um, it wasn't Tyler, Tyler Hero. It wasn't the rookie. Yeah, Tyler Hero did get some run, but I don't know if he started. Gotcha. I, gotcha. So I mean, I, like I said, I didn't watch the games that that their, their preseason games from the from the get go. I definitely watched those nine minute packages. Mm-hmm. That's a highlight thing. So we, all you get to really see is the the ball and play scores. But um, Winslow looked good. Winslow looked good. He he looked like. Out of all those guys who didn't have a defined skill, he had enough skill as a playmaker that he could justify all the other things that he hasn't really shown that he can do well, like shoot threes. His ball handling and ability to create for others, especially from the position that he played, he always had that since he was at Duke. He, mm-hmm. he did more scoring to get drafted, but yep. at, at Duke, he still definitely had the ability to stay at the top of the key or the high pick and roll and navigate the defense and offense to get a good shot for his team. So I think he's fine. But again, I don't know. Matter of fact, he may have started. He may have started that game at the two or the three, and then they just had Jimmy out there, and then they brought Tyler off the bench because I don't believe I saw Tyler at the beginning of the highlights. But long okay. story short, I, I like you said, they, they do kind of have a void in shooting, but they also kind of don't because all of their shooting comes off the bench except for Myers. Myers is a very good three-point shooter to be so tall. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. even though he's a seven footer, he can definitely help space the floor. I mean, you can kind of mimic what Milwaukee does, where you put him at one of the high left or right three point lines on, on the on the extended sides, and mm. then run your offense, knowing that the center is pulled away from the basket, so that you know your guys who do like to generate points going to the basket, like Goran Dragic, or you know you want to pick a fade with Myers and Goran Dragic, then Goran is probably going to get himself into the, the the painted area and be able to get a good decision to happen. Jimmy Butler, we all know that his game is predicated on getting to that mid-range or the basket area. So I think I think it'll be – I think as always, because I've never seen Spolstra be part of any top-rated offense in the NBA since he's been a coach. I think it's always going to be a matter of how much offense can they generate because their defense is going to be there. Those guys are going to defend. You can't mm-hmm. play in Miami unless you can guard. And if you don't guard, you get sacked. And if you don't cooperate with the team mantra, you get sat. And if you don't believe that, ask Hassan Whiteside. Because mm-hmm. every time Hassan Whiteside stepped outside of what they believed to be Miami Heat protocol, he got sat back down. His minutes got cut. He no longer was a starter. A whole bunch of things. And it almost felt like, hey, maybe, maybe they're sacrificing their season just to teach Hassan a lesson, but they actually really just weren't that good. 
They really, I mean, even with Dwayne Wade departing and doing what he did off the bench, because he was one of the better six men in the, in the, in the league last year. Uh-huh. Like you said, they still weren't able to close the gap to get to the 500 level where they could really put pressure on, on another team for that seventh or eighth seed. And with what they've, you know, sometimes the best addition is by subtraction. So maybe by, you know, Dwayne Wade moving on and the players that they traded and got off the roster, they somehow developed, you know, more cohesion. And again, one thing we never account for and can never really account for when we're prognosticating a team is how injuries will affect the remainder of the conference. So, of course, you, you, you give or take, if Detroit takes a, a, an extended injury to one of their top five guys, Blake Griffin, uh, Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, they can probably ensure a loss against because they've got um, Derrick Rose. But if Derrick Rose gets hurt, like, there's not really that big of a gap between them and anybody that we could say is, is, is probably going to get that, that seed. So at 39 wins, I definitely can see them at least getting to 40. Like, I, I've got them at least being finishing the season at 41 and 41. 500 is like a minimal. If they do above that, that'll be great because they'll probably definitely be in the playoffs. But I don't expect them to finish below 500. Not with Jimmy Butler on the roster. I just he's, – he's too much of an irritant to other players on other teams as well as to his teammates with the way that he handles himself that you don't want to be on his bad side. He's already an eclectic guy. So you don't want Jimmy Butler to have a microphone in front of him and somebody asking him an honest question because that might mean your name, number, jersey, address might get mentioned in the interview. And, you know, some players don't respond to that very well, you know, i.e. Minnesota. But I think with the cast of players that they have in Miami where everybody kind of gets held accountable from 1 to 15, his style will kind of work a little better there. So mm-hmm. I, see them, I see them putting their hard hats on and really going at it. And, like, really – I mean, come on. They were the second-best defensive team in the league as far as points allowed? And six, and six overall defensive rating. Yeah, yeah. In that I mean, Eastern Conference, I think I think they could put pressure on a team like Indiana, who won't be at full strength mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season, yeah. to really figure it out. True, uh, I, I, but I think what the thing with Miami too about last year, they had Dwayne Wade. They were really trying to put that best foot forward because they knew Dwayne Wade was about to retire his last season. So some of those guys were playing above and beyond what they normally do because they're trying to make that push for somebody like Dwayne Wade to get him to the playoffs and send them off kind of on that, hey, you still made it to the playoffs. So some of those guys might have been playing a little harder. And so the certain games, plus Dwayne Wade won them a couple of games off of buzzer. He won them quite a few games. He won a game where Kevin Durant blocked him at the top mm -hmm. of the the three-point line, and he caught the miss and threw it up, and it went in, and they beat Golden State at home. So. I mean, it's, this is still the NBA. It's still, it's still a game of, uh, of inches. So definitely, definitely not ruling them out from any type of possibility of being in contention for a playoff spot. I got them. I, I foresee them being there. When I look at the standings for the remainder of, of the season, I definitely, see, I definitely see them being a part of, you know, that top 10, 12 teams. It's just I don't know if they – of defense alone will be able to separate themselves from everybody else well enough to, you know, keep people away. You know, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like there's some years where you have, you have a seventh or eighth seed and there's no even, there's not even like five, five, six game separation. It's bigger than that. But I think the East is going to be compacted once you get below the bottom three. I mean, the top three teams, mm-hmm. 
I don't know if, if they have enough talent to account for the, the margin of error that you sometimes need to ensure that you're a solidified playoff threat. So that, that's why I'm worried. I think they're just going to be, you know, biting their nails for the entirety of the season. Yeah, yeah, no. I think, I think Miami is going to be a team that is going to be, or at least make every attempt to be players when it comes to the free agent, free agent period around all-star break. Because if yeah, the buyout market and... exactly because they, they they do have some some pieces that might work better on other teams, it's not necessarily a collective unit. So it, so it will it will be also I think their biggest thing will be just how how the rookie can mature because they're going to use him. He's going to play heavy minutes. I mean, is he going to be a sleeper kind of like how Devin Booker was when he got to the league? It was like whoa. I didn't. I, I didn't, don't you know. see Tyler Hero. Be, I mean, listen. His no, I'm just primary, saying. No, I mean, shooting yeah. wise, like shooting the stretch. Yeah, the floor, his gun, his gun, his gun, and his demeanor with his gun, they're all set for the NBA. You, you can't, you can't walk Tyler Hero off a shot that he's going to be afraid to take from distance. He's, he's got that. He's got that moxie. He, he's ready. He, he had it at Kentucky. I mean. There were times where he was taking shots that like mm. were beyond what anybody else in college would take. Kind of like when Trey Young was yep. still in college and he would just randomly pull from another team's logo. Like Haro, Tyler, Tyler's got that type of shot with the mechanics and, and the power to back it up. Like I believe he's one of those kids that grew up with like a 40-foot backyard court where he could take any type of shot he wanted to and he just managed to be able to make them all. So I don't think he I, – I, I think he's got an opportunity to be a very – he may not – he may not contend for rookie of the year, but he might get mentioned mm-hmm. in the conversation. He might wind up being all rookie team. I don't know how the all rookie team is going to play out with the five positions because, you know, Zion's going to be listed, you know, at one of the, the four. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then, I, I, mean look, 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 I mean, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of how much they can u- utilize him, being that he's a rookie, he's coming in his first, you know, first time in the NBA. How much are they going to try to lean on him? Because – I mean, you're looking at their roster. He is their only guaranteed shooter that is labeled as a shooter. So how's he going to come in? How's he going to play? Some of those positions, like somebody like Deion Waiters, who might feel he might not come off the bench. I mean, he might come off the bench because he might be a type of person that's a six-man, but Deion Waiters might not feel like he wants to be a six-man. So he might look at it like he might cause some friction there, but somebody like Tyler Hero, him and Deion Waiters, pretty much play the same position so mm. see that's the thing that makes Deion Waiters kind of a, a, a bankable asset because he can be a backup point guard he has ball handling capacity he's done it he did it in Cleveland he did it in Oklahoma City and he did it for the little bit of time that he was healthy in Miami he is a very decent secondary ball handler he was also that in Syracuse he was a point guard so I don't think that'd be a big again like when you play in Miami you don't stay in Miami if you're a problem. And Deion Waiters has managed to stay for the majority of the time that, you know, his contract has allowed him to. If they flip him, it'll be because, like you said, he's an asset that, that, that makes sense to another team in a different capacity. But I see their hierarchy as, you know, if they start Justice over, over Deion Waiters, they're doing that so that they can keep the ball moving because they know that Justice isn't going to – um. He's not going to hold on to the ball. He's going to keep it moving. He's going to keep that. He's going to keep the the, the temp the temp the tempo and pace where it needs to be for a team like Miami to be successful offensively. When you bring him off the bench, I kind of think that like 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it really helps them to have him and Dion both come off the bench and Tyler Hero. So I think one of those three guys, and it's most likely probably going to be based off of how Miami does things. It's probably going to be Justice who gets the start and not because he's versatile, and so is Jimmy Butler. So you can use both of those guys to deploy on opposing teams' guards and forwards, and just whoever is feeling more energetic that night sticks the guy who's scoring the hardest so that the other guy, you know, has a lighter load on, on, on defense. And that's probably what they're going to try to do for Jimmy anyway because Jimmy is a great two-way player, but when you compel the best player on your team to be a, a great two-way player for 99% of the game, you tend to wear them down. So – I don't know. He didn't have to really deal with that that much in Philly. You know, they was mm-hmm. kind of like, all right, now it's the fourth quarter. Go ahead, Jimmy. Now you do both. But for the, the first course. three quarters, you can slide him over to, you know, the second or third best player on the team on the perimeter. So I don't know, man. Miami is not really a conundrum, but there's no, there's no easily hard set future that you could put out for them. I don't see them, like you said, rising above to get into that top four teams in their conference type of level, but I definitely don't see them so far below everyone else that you could just easily dismiss them. So, and if they went to the playoffs, would it really be that much of a surprise? No. So it's kind of like the only real surprise Miami could have is if they have a really bad season. No, of course, of course. That, now that would be, yeah. I mean, the way, yeah, like I said, the, the Miami teams, Regardless of their record, like you said, they always play hard. They, I think, with them, they're gonna have to push the pace. Like I said, they yeah, they want to minimize their half court set because the half court set, and it's from what I'm looking at, is Jimmy trying to get the ball and just trying to get get a bucket. I mean, everybody else could, could slash, but it's just the way today's game is. They they don't have any floor spaces. So once you realize that. It's, it, it will be a, it will be challenging because I'm, I'm I'm just I'm scratching my head looking at this roster like this roster could 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 be anywhere between such a wide spectrum it could be like you said a bad season where they only win 30 games or it could be a good season where they could win 43. So well, defensively, like, I can't see them getting worse as far as becoming so bad defensively that they suddenly aren't able to win 39 games. And when it comes to their offense, I mean, it's going to be pretty much because Eric Spolstra isn't really all that innovative. He's going to probably take a Spain pick and roll set and use that to get Bam to allow to allow um, Drogic to delve into the paint and mm-hmm. make decisions because that's where Drogic is really excellent. Once you get him inside of the three-point line and you got him going downhill, mm-hmm. he really puts a lot of pressure on defenses. Yep. And, if, and if Bam is able to roll to the basket freely – so that he can go in the air and go get those alley-oop finishes or whatever the case may be, mid-air finishes, they'll be great. And then you'll see somebody like maybe Myers Leonard standing in the short corner for a big man three because you know that big man is going to want to leak off of him. And while you're doing all that, you got some, you know, gimmicky action to get Jimmy Butler ISO on the opposite side of the floor. So if all else fails, you rotate the ball, Jimmy goes into his, 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 set, of, his set of package of, of plays, which really aren't that creative because Jimmy Butler is very strong right-handed. So if you get him on the right-hand side of the floor, you could just pretty much count to five, and at some point he's going to take a pull-up jumper or drive aggressively to the basket with his right hand. On the left-hand side of the court, he's a little bit different, but he's not as not as proficient a scorer. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think, like you said, their offense isn't going to have 
so much variability to it that teams feel like, oh, all right, well, if we don't game plan for this guy, we can really get torched. And that's where I think the complexity uh, of, uh, of, of their issues really lies, is that teams can look at them from a, from a um, game plan perspective and know that there's not really that much work. Like, you can pretty much teach your team to have their basic offensive, defensive principles and go out and play that game. You don't have to go out there and say, oh, man, we've got to stop this action. Oh, we've got to – like, Miami's going to have to present that to teams for, for teams to feel like they need to prepare for it because, like you said, and, and, and like we're saying, they just don't have the composition of parts to really present an upfront threat to what you need to do to be able to stop them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, so Miami, you take your, you're, you're looking at it, their range of wins so this upcoming season could be 41. 41. Okay. So, I'm looking at it from about the same type of thing. You know, about that hovering around 500. I think they, they could cap out at 43 wins, um, but also be as, as, as poor as 37. So, the 37 to 43 range season, I think, would be good for Miami. I think that's what they are. They're, they're, they're not necessarily – they need another piece. So, and if they make a trade, then we have to reevaluate this prediction because it's a different roster than the um, opening tip-off roster. Like I said, the season also begins on October 22nd. So that's another thing to keep in mind that the season is coming along very soon. So Miami can't probably make trades until as er- the earliest they can start making trades possibly is uh, December 15th when a lot of the free agents that have signed are eligible for trades if need be. So, like I said, um, but yeah, so Miami, like I said, that's 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 a kind of our express wrap of Miami. What's what's the um good point about Miami that you like the Miami Heat, the franchise? What was the memory for for you? My best Miami memory is is twofold. It um it extends to the press conference, the not one, not two, not three, not four. <laughs> I thought, I, I thought that was probably one of the most entertaining foot-in-your-mouth sessions that I had ever seen in, like, pro basketball history. And it's probably going to remain in that top four or five things. Like, oh, wow, he really just said that. And then, of course, the, uh, the, the tap out to Ray Allen, courtesy of Chris Bosh, the mm. amazing footwork combination of Jesus Shuttleworth to get himself behind that three-point line and then, I mean, mm-hmm, damn, mm-hmm. that, that, I, I know that that doesn't summarize all of the greatness that has taken place in Miami. I mean, we, we, we could go back to the whole Knicks Miami era with Tim Hardaway Jr. out there playing on one leg for Pat Riley, uh, Alonzo Mourning, and Larry Johnson getting into the fight. But mm-hmm. yeah, as far as recent memory goes, as, as far as things that make me smile when I think about the Miami Heat. It's definitely that Miami Heat press conference and then Ray Allen hitting that three to basically send the celebration <laughs> to send the celebration back into the locker room. So uh, that's, my, that's my Miami Heat all-time memory for right now. Gotcha. What about yours? Uh, yeah, those Miami-New York days were something else. But I also like the, the championship season of the Miami Heat when the 2006 when Dwayne Wade got the, the MVP. They had a lot of players in the teams that I kind of grew up watching, liking, 
Uh, they had, you know, Jason Williams, White Chocolate. Facts. They obviously had Antoine Walker. They Facts. had uh, James Posey, Gary Payton. You had Alonzo Mourning. You had, obviously, you had Shaq. Uh, you had, um, who else was on that team that I kind of really grew up, not, you kind of grew up watching kind of veterans. It was more so, those were like the main veterans on that Zoe team. Zoe Mourning was on that team. Yeah, and Zoe, and Zoe we came, he, he, he got to Miami Heat. He came and played vital minutes for them in crunch time, which yeah. is something that I I, um, I I liked about that. The fact that they they were losing, what, oh, they were down 0-2 to Dallas, and they came back uh, to win the series 4-2 because of Dwayne Wade. But prior to that, remember, they started the season with Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, and that Pat Riley was really like, yeah, but Pat Riley came down and was like, listen, this ain't going to work, Stan. Stan they were like, you know, basically he's just like, uh, Stan's gonna take some time off. I'm gonna take yeah. over. You know, it's like yo. And Stan didn't even know. Like I think that's like the second time. That was the first yo. time. It was like a prelude to what would happen to Stan later on when he was coaching the Magic. Yeah, yo. Stan Van Gundy has had some really awkward situations as, as a head coach. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, that was a situation where I felt like Pat Riley had some mafia ties or something because he was like, "Yeah, Stan's just gonna take off for a bit. I'm gonna take over." And it was like, yo. The dude, all right, cool, and then they end up winning. And I was like, Stan, I don't think he, he coached long enough to get a ring. You know what I mean? They couldn't even categorize him as the championship coach. Correct. So you know, so that was that was the kind of the thing. Yeah, like if the that. cutoff was if the cutoff was thirty eight games, Pat made sure that he coached thirty seven and thirty seven you know, three quarters. He only, he only coached twenty one, which was crazy though. Yeah. So, so whatever the cutoff was to qualify him for that ring, Pat Riley made sure that he didn't get it. But behind the scenes, I don't know if you've ever watched the documentary, but a lot of that came from Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal, and this was after, I believe, Miami had lost to Detroit the first year that that um uh-huh. that Shaq was there. And, yeah. and, you know, they were like, all right, well, we're going to run it back again. Shaq was like, all right, cool. And then 21 games to the season, like, this ain't it, Chief. And Pat Riley, of course, did what Pat Riley has always done, like you said, mob ties. He stepped in and, you know, he got mm-hmm. dark only in the sense that, like, you know, his key didn't work when he pulled up to the complex and wasn't nobody saying hi. And when he was buzzing, nobody was responding. It was, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was Stan, tough. Stan, Stan's had some cold nights in some in some some amazing NBA cities because yeah. things didn't go well for him. Well, I mean, as well for him when he took over for Detroit, but um. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely that definitely is a dope memory that Dwayne Wade and, and it's such a controversial era because everybody who wasn't a fan of the Miami Heat said that Dwayne Wade basically had the referee in his pocket for the, for that series because he went to the line in a crazy inordinate yeah, yeah. amount of times. Like he went to the line like 133 times in like four games. It was something crazy. Yeah, yeah. He, but, he, he, he I, I think it said one game he had more free throw attempts. Than the entire Dallas entire Mavericks, Mavericks rock, roster, which yeah. is crazy. But I mean, that that was also the, the time where Dwayne Wade was still known as Flash, where he was going to the basket at at at, at will, you know. And you weren't stopping, you weren't stopping that spin move, you weren't stopping that all the spin moves. Euro, he had. the Euro before, like you know, yeah, exactly the Euro, the the elbow the, jump shots, all that stuff. The goal, yeah, the, the step over. The step over when you would come to trap, and then mm-hmm. he would split you with the with the step over, and then hop step into a a, a, a 
a shot attempt that would seem to be like a magnet for a foul for every big man. They're like, oh, I got ah, yep, yep. way, way shooting two free throws. Like, yeah. it, it really did become, you know, like a Dwayne Wade parade to the free throw line situation that year, not just in the playoffs. I think if people go back and look at that year and actually look at the year before Shaq got there, how much Dwayne Wade, his game was predicated heavily on, on getting to the free throw line. So mm-hmm. he just, he just, it was a perfect storm, and we'll leave it at that. But um, on that note, we're going to move on to the next team. The 2019-2020 Charlotte Hornets. Oh, boy. What a dumpster fire. Um, well, that's why they only get 30 minutes or less. So um, I kind of feel bad that Miami had to join them, to be honest with you. Like, I feel like we could have gave Miami more time. But, again, we're not here to, to shade any team. I am a big-time fan of the ownership of the Charlotte Hornets, which is one Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Um, what's last year's record for them? They were 39-43, too? Yes, sir. So they finished with the equivalent record to the Miami Heat, sitting them at, what, like 11th in the conference or something like that? hmm Just outside the playoffs. Um, notable players no longer on their roster, Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker, and Kemba Walker. Um, Mm-hmm. Notable additions to their roster, Scary Terry, yeah. and um, uh, they also lost Frank Kaminsky. Frank Kaminsky now plays for Phoenix. Phoenix, and um, I'm not sure who else is departed from from the roster that they had that really plays significant minutes. But um, who's their coach? Their coach is somebody I d- vaguely remember. Uh, he was, he was definitely was a guy that he was, he was like a. Uh, well, another I one forgot. of his former video coordinators, like the next uh, coach. I think so. The coach, I know the former coach the, of the the, the J- James uh, Borengo. I don't even know that name. I don't remember this dude. Wait, what does this dude look like? No, that's the thing with certain teams. You like who? Yeah, they coach sound like they got an album on Spotify somewhere. He might. He might. They might have pulled. He might have won a contest to become a coach. <laughs> Yo, come on, man. Who is this dude, man? So, so this is even worse than uh, what was Ta- dude? Taylor Jenkins? Yeah. Taylor Jenkins. <laughs> uh, I mean, at least Taylor Jenkins play, came from. You know, winning organization in Milwaukee and stuff. I mean, this yeah. this dude right here. Yeah, Taylor Jenkins was dope in that Tyler Perry movie too. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but um, who is it? We still haven't given this guy a name yet. Oh, Mitch Kupchak is the general manager. Oh yeah, Mitch Disaster. Yo, Mitch this disaster. dude, James. Mitch Mitch Kupchak is a former college. This team. Wait, this dude's forty. Yeah, they Charlotte. Charlotte goes out. I mean, Michael Jordan goes out, and he he does it the economic way. He goes out and gets young talent, and um, basically tries to get them to coach over their head. And same thing with the team. Oh, um, but wait, wait, wait this dude, Crow, this dude came from the Spurs. He was an assistant coach of the Spurs for three years. He's from 2015 to 2018. So. He and actually, matter of fact, this dude was the Spurs assistant coach back in 2003 to 2010. He left and he just started doing a bunch of 
between 2010 and 2015, he just was an assistant coach on different teams, but then he went back to the Spurs from 2015 to 2018. So he um he, he was got some equity. Yeah, so oh, he's a Latino. Okay, okay. He's bo- he was born and raised in New Mexico. Okay, my man. Okay. And you said he's forty. He's forty-one, actually. So back in two thousand three, you said he was working with the Spurs. Uh, two thousand yeah, two thousand three, yeah. He's a young boy, you know, the Spurs is always on that cutting edge of letting letting um trying to break the mold. I mean, look at they got Becky Hammond as their lead assistant. So, you know, the first time. So he said he's from New Mexico. He's born in New Mexico. Um, he led Albuquerque Academy to a pair of state championships. And he, um, he, he, he was assistant coach for the, he played for the University of San Diego. Okay. So, you know, he, he did so all right. He graduated, came back home to New Mexico, snuck across the border. Popovich found him. How you assistant coach? How you sneak across the border? New Mexico's in the U.S. Yeah, I know you snuck across the <laughs> to San to Texas. <laughs> yeah, Yo, you well. You're a wild boy. Yeah, you, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. But um, shout out to him because again, oh, people who come from yo, the Spurs. He is a video coordinator. Yeah, I'm reading his bio real quick. It says after um his career b- began. Well, he, he was coaching with San Diego. He was assistant coach after he graduated uh, with San Diego. Then it says he began his professional basketball career with the San Antonio Spurs, starting as an assistant video coordinator in the summer of 2003 and promoted okay. to Okay, what assist- does an assistant video coordinator do? Is that the guy who hits stop and start? Because you already have a video coordinator. This is what Spolstra did. Yeah. Like, I, I, oh, man. Shout out to these teams with these budgets so that you can have a guy doing the same job as the other guy and he gets he an assistant. He could be it. the dude that holds the take one the take one card. That, you know, we're back in three, two, one. You know what I mean? Maybe this nah, the, vi- the video coordinator guy is literally the guy who, when they have team meetings, it's his responsibility to assemble all the clips mm. that the team wants to go over for advanced scouting against their future opponent. So it's their job to go out and compile this footage, organize this footage, work with the coaches on how they're going to scheme with the footage, and then when it's time to have the team meetings on the plane, wherever the case may be, wherever they have the opportunity to, that's what the video coordinator does. So it is a valuable resource in the NBA, and it's been in place for a very long time. It's just there's some teams who did it with one guy, but apparently the Spurs value video way more than we know. Yeah. So they had multiple guys. And I'm pretty sure now it's probably at a multiple guy level. You got 30 teams or 29 other teams than yours that you got to scout and assemble footage for and develop game plans and so on. So, yeah, it all makes sense. But, you know, he comes from that Spurs system Mm -hmm. of coaching. But what I've come to learn is that just because you're a part of XYZ's given tree of coaching, that doesn't mean you absorb their philosophies totally. Like, Budenholzer took his own – his own version of, of Spurs principles and brought them to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's made him successful because he brought his own version of Spurs principles to Atlanta because Atlanta did not play and does not play and didn't play the way that Milwaukee plays. So the, the true testament to a coach is being able to take what you believe is 
good and bad about basketball and give your team an identity with it, but at the same time, maximize the talent that you have in front of you. So with that being said, let's look at Charlotte's talent. Ooh, that is – you got Dwayne Bacon, who's a – he was a high school standout. Did you just start with a guy whose last name is Bacon? Uh, but he was, he was the top-ranked high school player come, he's coming out of high school. He's one of the top kids in the country. He played for Florida State. Um, but, you, I mean, Nicholas Batum, who's been robbing the NBA for them checks, I mean, like I said, you know, get, get, whoever his agent is, man, some of these dudes be having the best agents. I don't know who the agents are, but Nicholas Batum is getting $25.5 million this season. He's in the final year of his deal, though. Still, at what point, Nicholas Batum, he – Was he ever worth that? He, oh, he, um, he rode the potential wave. Because remember, before he left Portland, he was getting a bunch of triple doubles. And they were saying, oh, correct. he was, you know, he was very versatile. versatile. He could play – Not American. He could play different – he could play a string of defenders. Uh, he – he was one of those, so he capitalized on those. He's one of those guys who could who could guard from the one to the four. Yeah, and those guys always get overpaid because Nicholas Batum is like something like six eight six nine. Uh huh. And, and uh, he can handle he just the ball. Turned thirty. Well, he turns thirty one in Christmas time. So, all right, but you still haven't named a significant basketball talent. You said Bacon Batum. Oh, wait, hold on. We know we got Scary Terry. Yeah, you got. Uh, you got uh, what you gonna call it? Uh, is my man still there from the Congo? Bismack, yeah, I was about to say him next. Bismack Biombo, the bro, bro. Bismack Biombo gets shorter yo, and shorter every year he's in the NBA. He came into the league. They were like, "Yo, there's this guy. He's he's like six ten with a seven foot five wingspan," and it was Bismack. And then his first game, it's like y'all said he was six ten. He's clearly six eight. Yo, he. And he's been in the league like five years. He's like six six. Yo, now. he's still in. Yo, he's he's at seventeen million. Now. Yo, I don't like to talk about another man's money too much, but yo, <laughs> his agent is he's feeding his yo, village. And they got Miles Bridges, who's going to be a good player for them. Who was a rookie last year? Um, they got dunk contest participant. Mm-hmm. They got Michael Kidd, girl Chris, who was a phenomenal phenomenal player out of high school and in Kentucky was a pretty good player. It seemed like his every, every year he's he's been on the, the scene, whether it's in high school, in college, to the pros, it seems like his game has just been deteriorating. I mean, because how do you become a top-ranked high school player to play at Kentucky? He, at one point, he, he was like the second. He got drafted number two behind Anthony Davis. Right. He was he was the second pick in the draft, but also his high school class. He was one of the top five. He played with Kyrie in his class, man. So yes, I'm. I mean, but let's not take too much from Michael Kidd Gilchrist because for one, he guards from one to the three. Mm-hmm. He guards one to the three very well. No, he's well. a defensive player, he's, definitely. Yeah, his jump shot looks like it belongs in a wheelchair, and that's that's his that's that's his career in a nutshell. Until his jump shot mechanics become something that actually makes him dependable because you can have an ugly shot in the NBA. Let's not pretend like everybody shoots the same. Nobody, mm, no, no two people shoot identically the same in the NBA. But if you're accurate and able to get that shot off in the face of defense, you wind up having staying power as an offensive threat. And as long as Michael Gilchrist has been, Michael K. Gilchrist has been in the league. So if he patterned Anthony Davis, this is what his seventh or eighth season. Mm-hmm. And he still to this, to this day doesn't have, 
a, a reliable jump shot to the point that defenders feel the need to come out and guard him. So that's why he remains. So, and I think he's almost at the end of his contract too. So I don't know. Charlotte is a team in flux because mm-hmm. you got Terry, you got Terry Rozier, who's got everything in the world to prove, even though he just got a big deal. What did he get? Three years, 52 mm-hmm. million. So technically he doesn't have to prove anything. He could just go out there and be himself and be content that he's doing the best that he can and nobody's really going to criticize him because, again, Kemba was out there putting up 30 a game and nobody even knew his last name. So yeah. he's going to fly under the radar. I, I, I've got Charlotte. They're not getting the 39 wins because Kemba was responsible for about 38 of them. <laughs> well, and Kim so, Gilchrist is in the last year of his um, contract. Actually, that pays him. Charlotte's not very good at trading. No, yeah, I don't know what they. Then they're very. They're not very good at they're trading. Very they're, they're poor acquisition at re-signing players that no is on no one else's radar. Well, actually, they're very good at re-signing players. Yeah, that nobody. Else no, wants. Well, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but they're paying players that. Yeah, it's crazy because because they got Cody Zeller. This dude's making fourteen and a half million dollars. Marvin Williams is making fifteen million. So I'm like. Another former number two pick in the draft. Yeah, and he was a number two player, and he didn't even start for his college team. You know, that's the thing about this potential yeah. and upside. It's got an expiration date because coming out of college, nobody thought his career would be what it is now. It's, it's, a, it's a far cry from that potential of him being a solid player. I mean, the potential was – I watched that game, that game where he kind of like – because he literally made himself the number two pick in the draft off of one game. It was the NCAA championship game, and he kept getting left open from mid-range, and his jumper mechanics – and this is something that has not abandoned Marvin Williams. He's still a very good perimeter shooter. So he never lost that, but I guess there was this belief that he would all of a sudden develop like a handle and be able to like go by people mm-hmm. along with that jump shot. Yeah. That never manifested. So he doesn't really have a drive game. He's more of a set of screen, fade. You leave him open, he'll drift and knock down that shot reliably. And when that's the extent of your game, no, you don't warrant being the number two pick in the draft, but somehow that happened for him. Charlotte didn't draft him number two. I believe Atlanta no, he did. Play, yeah, he played for Atlanta and he played for uh, – what's the other team? He played for Utah. played for Utah two years. Atlanta, he played for Atlanta for seven years. This dude, this dude been in the league forever because – he been at least he been yeah. at least since two thousand five, so yeah. he's a fifteen year veteran. Yeah, and he and he's he's been consistent. He, he's average. He, his career average is ten and a half points. His uh, three point shooting is about 36 percent. Now, granted, he only takes about you know anywhere between about about three to five a game. So he's shooting at last year he shot thirty six percent. So. He, he's, you know, he is who he is. He, he's fell into his role. I mean, he's a, I guess, a mediocre defender, uh, but he's definitely a corner, th- uh, corner three-point shooter, and he's going to do his job and not even bother you after that. Yeah, he's going to be the guy that, you know, when he's in the game that you'll see Scary Terry coming off of his screen and probably being able to get himself to the basket to get fouled. I, um. Win loss projection, man. Yeah, because yeah, this is tough. Um, they won thirty nine again. I see them taking a steep decline. Oh, they almost feel like the way this roster is assembled, it's almost on purpose. 
like you know maybe they're tanking for maybe they're tanking for 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 Lamelo, mm-hmm. which would be silly considering that they have Terry on the roster for mm-hmm. two more years and another like thirty eight million. Uh, the other kid that I saw that's probably going to be high up on the draft board. He's another point guard. He actually is playing for New Zealand, and they had an exhibition against Oklahoma City, and he looked electric. I forgot what the kid's name is, but the kid is electric. He is quick as all hell. He wasn't really accurate with his shooting, but nobody could really stay in front of him. So that kid who went over to New Zealand, I, I see him being a top five draft pick. Who are you talking about? Are, are just off for those two preseason games. Yes, all Hampton. Right. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a tank for one of those two guys because this is probably going to be another inverted draft where guards mm-hmm. get pushed to be, be, be the best available player at the top of the draft. Which really isn't a surprise. It's been that way for like the past twenty years. Every now and then, you know, a mystery forward comes along and, and, and takes the thunder. But for the most part, guards tend to get picked in that high draft order. But I mean, we did have Anthony Davis on and so forth. But point being, I I, I don't know what Charlotte does other than lose, literally go to the bank, and and do a withdrawal and say, hey. Which one of y'all want to give us a draft pick for this guy? Which one of y'all want to give us a draft pick for this guy? I would be plundering the D-League roster for guys to get prepared to get two-way contracts and bring them up. I really don't think there's any incentive whatsoever in Charlotte trying to make a push to do anything close to contend for a playoff spot. They just don't have the personnel. Listen, they're going to make a push for 10 games this season. Because when I'm looking at their roster, I don't see more than – I don't see more than 15 wins for this team. And 15 might be a stretch because I'm looking at their roster, and, yes, you have a bunch of players. Who who on that team besides Terry? And and I'm stretching that when I say it. Yo, I need a basket. Go get me one. Go cut their – go cut their – go 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 cut their score and run. Need a basket. You know what? Let me dial it back a second because they do have a player we have yet to mention him that I like very much on their roster. I'm not saying he's a franchise changer, but he's very talented. Maybe in a different environment, it would probably be showcased better. He did make a knucklehead move last year that caused Michael Jordan. You're talking to about Malik Monk? Yeah. Okay. I like Malik. I mean, yeah, but the thing about it is, is still, yes. See, my, my problem with Malik Monk was <laughs> he's not going to give you, I mean, Malik Monk, he, I, I, I liked his game too. I originally thought the Knicks were going to try to draft him when he came out. Um, but they went in a different direction. But the only problem is he's still yet to average double figures for a season. This is this will be his third right. year in the league. And he's played he's been playing pretty much the whole game. He's played and he would but he averages in his career, his career averages thirty basically thirty thirty eight minutes a game. So if you get thirty eight minutes a game, you can't get ten points. Now granted, you're getting about take about eight shots a game, but like I said, Exactly. This is has to be his year where he's at at least at 12, 12 to fourteen points a game. So I would think for them to have any type of success, and this doesn't even mean in a win loss level, for them to fill the season has been any type of success that Malik has to ascend to that and better level that he's capable of. The kid can shoot. He's very athletic. Mm-hmm. He's got handling skill. 
I think that him and Terry Rozier combined do make for a valid, credible starting backcourt. There's a different vibe when you playing with a guy like Kim. That you don't really get a chance to do much off the ball work with him. And that's part of the reason why the numbers that Jeremy Lamb put up while he was still there were considered to be really good. Because when you got a point guard with the type of usage that that um that Kimba had, if you're able to score in the double figure levels and shoot high percentages, it's it's basically a reflection of you not wasting opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think that those opportunities are gonna be they're gonna be greater. There's gonna be more opportunity for, for Malik to 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 go out there and showcase what he is capable of doing with a guy like Terry Rozier on the team, because Terry Rozier, even when Terry Rozier he looked best playing in Boston when he would come down the court, call a play, and then the play would originate with him passing it to somebody and then going through a whole bunch of actions and then getting the ball back, which is the traditional Boston offense that um, that old boy put in place when he had um, Isaiah Thomas there. So I think those type of actions will allow for you know somebody like Malik Monk to possibly up his scoring numbers. Jeremy Lamb isn't there anymore. I think – where did Jeremy go? Um I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's gone. But Jeremy Lamb's a UConn guy, so I'm pretty sure wherever he landed is going to be somewhere that he'll fit in well. He's a versatile, switchable defender. But back to, to the Hornets. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for Malik Monk. to t- that, That's my reason to watch Charlotte this year is to see how dysfunctional they are with Terry Rozier at the point and whether or not Malik Monk can survive it. And if Michael Kidd Gilchrist has done anything to, you know, change the, the outlook of what his game currently is. Th- th- those, are, those are my reasons to watch Charlotte. Beyond that, like you said, them getting above 10 wins is, is going to be a monumental <clears throat> success. Because mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy Lane went to, it, it, he went to Indiana. Exactly. So... And, and there's and there there's a good example of having decent insurance for Oladipo. He's nowhere near as electric or capable of doing as much exploding, but he's going to be consistent. So, yeah, again, that gives that gives that goes back to what we were saying earlier about um, Miami. That's a team that they're going to be trying to chase down or have directly in their in their sights for the entirety of the year. Like I think Indiana is going to be the base level team for for Eastern Conference teams to know if they're doing well. If we're doing better than Indiana, chances are we're in that top five area for the playoffs. If we're doing worse than Indiana, we're probably chasing the seventh eighth seed. So that, that's a good barometer team until Oladipo gets back. And then Oladipo is probably going to need a couple weeks to get his legs under him, considering what he's coming back from. Because I, I forgot what he did, but he did something that's not even as bad as tearing an ACL, but just as debilitating. Like I don't know what he tore, but it's somewhere in his upper leg. But um, back to, to Charlotte, yeah, getting to 9-10 wins would be, I wouldn't call it a success, but getting to 9-10 wins would be right about where we expect them to be. And um, just jumping right into what I believe is, is their best memory. Yeah, I don't have one. Oh, wow. Uh, no, my, my, my best memory for the Charlotte Hornets is when it was Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson. I mean, if we're going to do that, yeah, but I thought that was when, remember when we did the Pelicans and we were sure how we were going to affiliate oh, things. Okay, so you're affiliated So if, if it's going to be that, if it's going to be that, then I'm twinning with you. 
that whole Lonzo Morning, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues, Kendall Gill core that they had. Yep, Dale I Curry, loved Dale it. Curry that was shooting threes. That team, they were so fun to play with on NBA Jam. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause you had, cause those were the four guys you could pick from. I think they had Muggsy out there, but if you was stupid, you would pick Muggsy. Cause, I mean, come on, everybody was out there dunking. But point being, they definitely had a collection of a very yeah. Um, piggybacking off our top memories for Charlotte that era with um Zoe, L.J. Grandmama, Kendall Gill, Dell Curry. Muggsy Bogues, they were definitely an exciting team on the rise. It's unfortunate how they, you know, kind of broke up because I think that was when Alonzo got that first $100 million contract. And that was like him going to Miami. Mm-hmm. That was right after, I think that was right after they had already tried Miami. They already tried that with uh, Juwan Howard. So mm-hmm. they gave both of them like consecutive year deals. Or it might have been the same offseason. But seeing that team, seeing that team get broken up, that definitely was like one of my first few introductions to the the business side of the NBA. So I was definitely affected by that because I definitely cheered for them. They had a dope color scheme with the teal and the purple. Charlotte was doing numbers as far as merch. They 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 were they were even if they weren't an actual popular team because of how good they were, they were a popular team because they were new and everything that they had put together, it, it came off fresh. So I definitely was a fan of that. I'm glad that the city of Charlotte was able to get their namesake back as far as the mascot goes and that, you know, New Orleans relinquished on allowing them to keep their records and stuff. So their franchise, all-time leading scorer and all those things, those all do date back to their original Charlotte squad. So I think that's dope. But, yeah, that, that, that's, that's my penultimate Charlotte Hornets memory. And I don't think we're in store for any this season. <laughs> Maybe some Shaq in the full moments. Yeah, they'll, they'll <laughs> probably be heavy on Shaq and the Fool. You know, we'll see Cody Zeller <clears throat> make a few appearances. But, yeah, man, on that note, that's episode 28 of Views from the Clutch. As always, we appreciate all the support, feedback, criticism that is made available to us. If you would like to reach us, as always, on any of the podcast sites where we're being hosted, you can go ahead and leave us a message. You can visit our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both named Views from the Clutch. You can send us a message directly via email at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. And on that note, I'm going to say peace. Yes, sir. Peace.